And God, we can't address you too much. Um, I would just ask, not just ask, I ask from the depths of my heart that you would reveal to us the truth of what it means to have a relationship with you, the truth of what it means to be saved, to be born again. Um, I don't know, it's pretty pretty baseline, but without that foundation, we don't go in trouble. We head off in ways that um, don't lead us to you. So God, I ask you to, as always, this is an era and a time and a, and a period of the way you work when we're dependent on your spirit. And so we're we cry out that your spirit would reveal light, reveal truth to all of us. Amen. So, Colossians, I, you know, I, I was thinking that we'd probably go pretty quickly through Colossians initially, um, looking at it, and there's a side of me that I was going to ask if maybe we could divert and go to the Gospels. Seems like I end up in the Gospels quite a bit these, these days in, in between looking at stuff. And since it's all about Jesus, it's pretty tough not to want to go spend some time there. Because um, who is he? You know, we have, there, there's a statement that Paul makes, um, in, in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. He says, and therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. I would say that that is somewhat different these days. Um, I would say that he, Paul made that statement about the church in Colossae because there was a side of it that was, that was fairly pure. Uh, it, was, it was established um, not directly by Paul, but, but through Paul's ministry. Paul was ten miles down the road. Um, for a fair amount of time ministering and, and the offshoot of that was was the church in Colossae. And there was there was a purity, I guess I would say, to the gospel. I would say that that is different now. And and unfortunately, um you know, I can't help but but continually be um Reminded of the necessity of, of renewing our foundation because our foundation is, whenever, whenever anything is spoke, we tend to interpret it by our presupposition. You know, we, we, we have a presupposition about what it means to be saved. We have a presupposition about what it means to have a right relationship with God. We have a presupposition about things that were learned, things that we learned growing up in, in churches, growing up in, pardon me, in religion. And and then everything we hear from the Bible, it's very hard not for that for that not to go through that filter and be somewhat um, muddled or or reduced or misinterpreted or redirected. So I I, I think it's very very critical. Um, that we continue to look at what is truly our foundation in relationship with God. I was speaking with a with a good friend of mine this week, um, and 
you know, and, and he's somebody that doesn't have a, a religious background. He doesn't have a church background. He isn't church. And we were talking, and he, you know, in some way, he he he. We were speaking, and he explained what it means to have a relationship with God in a way that was extremely clear. And it just reminded me that um, that I need to do that. You know, we we tend to because of because of the people we are, because of the Western people and the Western thinking people we are and, and our ability to divide between body, mind, and spirit. And um, I wouldn't say that's a good ability, but, but our ability to do that and, and to consciously live in our mind one way and yet to live a different way in our soul, in, in, in the depths of our being. Um, that's the propensity of all humans, but we tend to do it in, in human Christian in, in American Christianity particularly. That if, if God's purpose, and let me just state this because it, this section of Colossae is is referring directly to this, but if God's purpose is to have an intimate relationship with us, if God's purpose has always been to have an intimate relationship with His creation, okay. How, what does what does that take on our part in order for that to happen? We we as humans in in Jesus' day, the Jews, men, humankind has always not only unaided but aided by the principalities and powers that are at work in this world. We tend to want to do the right things on the outside um, so that we are right with God and not be changed from the inside. And and I you know, he the the reference um the reference comes, you know, one of the one of the predominant things and, and it's talked about here. So it isn't just a um it's it's a natural propensity of humans. I wouldn't say a right, but a natural propensity of fallen man. But when you look at its sexual immorality um, just take for instance, because it's one of the, one of the, always has been, um, and always will be a, a result of a, of sin, a result of, of flesh, a result of, of humanness, a result of humanness not in right relationship with God. In order for us to have a right relationship with God, um, when it comes to sexual immorality, what does that look like? You know, we, and, and unfortunately what we think is that we don't is a guy, you know, we don't go sleep with Susie, and so therefore we're right with God, you know. Or as a girl, we don't go sleep with our boyfriend, and therefore we're right with God. Um, and, and tragically, that really doesn't have much to do with it. That a right relationship with God is is to be in agreement with God. Consider this, and, and really, it's because it's very important, to disagree with God or, or I'll ask this question, is, is to disagree with God about whether it's sexuality, whether it's greed, whether it's covetousness, whether it's longing for anything called lust, whether it's whatever, to disagree with God about that in the way that you feel, is that sin? I mean, we really need to consider because what we tend to look at is I will just white knuckle this 
and do the right thing. I will just, I, but inside, I really want to do it, but I'm not going to because I, I, I want to, you know, I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to be in a wrong relationship with God. Does that, does that mentality, does that state of being in ourselves, does that make for an intimate relationship with God? If, if, if somebody is hanging, if somebody, if you are spending time with someone and they don't really want to spend time with you, but they're doing it because it's what they're supposed to do, how good of time is that? How, 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 how intimate of time is that? How intimate of relationship is that? If we're in disagreement about with God about anything, that is sin. That is the root of sin. Because, because remember, God is perfect. God created all things. God created it to be um, as He created it to be. And to disagree with the way God created it to be uh, is to disagree with God and to see it wrongly and to be in sin. Now, I, I really, you need to consider this because there, there is, there is the, the issue. So, how, how do you come to that point? Because let's just talk about, again, about um, sexuality. And we live in a very immoral, we are all raised in an extremely degenerate, immoral culture. Um, I don't care you know, we we can try to sugarcoat it or, or, or make it look better than it is anyway, but we are extremely immoral. Um, in fact, I would say that, that we have degenerated to the point where I am fearful of God's wrath on us and God's judgment on us. When a, when a society, whenever you look in history of a society that became um, degenerate, um, immorally degenerate and, and began to, to generationally propagate that in a degenerative way, um, God's judgment came down. And God, God judged. And, and I, and, and His wrath came down on a, on a culture and on a society. We are very, very arrogant to believe that God would not do that. Um, in this country. We, we are immoral to a, um, you know, if we stood back and looked at it, we are immoral to a, to a state that maybe any society's ever been. Um, and, and so all of us being raised in that, we are all raised with, with wrong thoughts and wrong ideas. We all are growing up in a culture that, that doesn't you know, teach us the right things, the right view, God's view, God's understanding of things. And, and as a result, we, in, in, the, in the things that we're taught, and the things that we're raised with, the things that appeal very much to our flesh. Okay? And the things that appeal very much to our flesh are things that are reinforced by the principalities and powers and rulers of this world. Okay? Now, I don't know if any of you do or do not believe um, in, in forces of evil, in principalities and powers, in the demonic, in Satan. But whether you do or whether you don't has no bearing on the fact that it is absolutely the struggle. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. Okay? 
That means those forces are not only just personally involved in our lives and personally um, promoting darkness, promoting untruth in our lives, but those powers are culturally doing that. Those, those principalities and powers and rulers are, are culturally, are, are, are manipulating cultures in order to um, deny the existence of God or, or contort, confuse the truth about God. And that, that is the struggle we're in. We, we have to never forget there are two kingdoms coexisting right now on earth. There's the kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of darkness. And we are either subject to one or subject to the other. And that's the way it is. Okay? And at any given moment, we are subject to one or subject to the other. We are not running our own show. We are not determining our own destiny. We are not, we are, we are subject to one authority or the other authority. And that gets very, um, it's very, very important that we all understand that all of us are under the power, under the authority of the kingdom of darkness when we're born into this world. Okay? Infant baptism does not protect you from that. Okay? Or anything else, pardon me. There is the only thing that we say gives you a right relationship with God as a child. Getting you, getting the child to say a prayer. That doesn't protect you from it. Okay? Getting, getting the child to, the only thing that the Bible says gives that child protection in the right relationship with God is what? Obedience to his parents. And, and as that child grows up in obedience to their parents, Okay? And that, that's why, and, and be very clear, when God talks about degeneracy of a society, in, in the list of the most low-based degenerate actions, what does he always list? Disobedient to parents. It's a radical thing. We, we would say, we've degenerated to such a point in our culture, we say, that's just normal teenage behavior. That's the expectation. We talked about it last week, one of the lies that we tend to believe, that the philosophy, the human philosophy that we tend to buy into, um, that is one of them. That's just the propensity of teenagers to rebel. Teenagers are going to rebel. That's the failure of parents when teenagers rebel. Okay? That, 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 that is a failure to raise them up, understanding that submission of their will is the place of peace and security and joy. So, uh, it... It is very, very important then to come to a point in, in our understanding of what a right relationship with God looks like. Because we tend to then think, in our humanness, we tend to think that a right relationship with God, okay, I gotta quit doing this, and I gotta quit doing that, and I've gotta start doing this, and I've gotta start doing this, and I've gotta add these things to my life. And you look at the Jews even who, who had the law, and they not only had Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, which are pretty profound books, but they had to create the whole Mishnah, which was a whole nother thousand laws that they had to follow, you know, doing it. Um, to, to, in order to, in order to be righteous before God. Which was ridiculous, because they didn't follow Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you know, or the Mishnah. The, the issue that Jesus continually had is what? They were acting on the outside. He called them whitewashed tombs. Right? 
And we all need to, to look at our own hearts because I, I'll, I'll try to reduce it to this because I think it's very, very critical for us. Is we are, we are more willing to give up the outward action than we are the pleasure of the thought. Okay? We, we, we are, we are willing at times even to go, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. But we still think about it. We still want that good feeling that we get from considering it. We still have, want that feeling that we get inside and we don't want to give that up. But let me just say, that's the only thing that matters. Because as long as our feelings, as long as our thoughts, as long as our mind disagrees with God, do we have an intimate relationship with Him? No. We are in opposition to Him. We are in rebellion to Him. Okay? The issue that God wants us to deal with is our heart. Always. And God is, God has made a way for that to happen. The issue, the, 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 Desire of God to have an intimate relationship with His creation. That does not re- mean a rebellious child who is just stomping, going, fine, I'll do it. That means that we, we have joy and we have peace. We're in agreement with God when we're out there, when, when we're spending time with Him. And when we're in disagreement about what He says is right and what He says is wrong, and you can say, well, I'm in agreement because I'm not doing it. But how do you feel about it? You know, and are, are we really willing to allow God to change that feeling? Are we willing to give that up? You know, whether that's anger, whether that's resentment, whether that's, um, whether that's lust, whether that's the pleasure of thinking about a guy or the pleasure of thinking about a girl who, in, in, a, in a way that if they aren't your husband or they aren't your wife, you should not be thinking of them, whether whether it's thinking about material things, whether it's lusting after being covetous, being greedy, which is which he says is idolatry, okay? Whether it's thinking about if I have this or if I have that or or when I have this or when I have that or if I get to that point and the good thoughts about doing it. I mean, I consider it myself at times, you know. I mean, I I can find great pleasure in building a gun in my head, you know. And those who... My, my family that knows me know I'm, I'm, I love the detail. I love the, the building process. I love the ballistics. I love all the little intricate details about it. Can that be an idol to me? It can be an idol to me. Is that, is that something that I um, could let um, control my thoughts? Yes. Does it control my thoughts at times? Yes. Do I need to repent of that? Yes. That, that, you know, do I think that that, is that where I get my pleasure? Is that where I get my joy? From things. From having things. Rather than having relationship with God. We, we have a, be honest. We, we tend to think that, gosh, if I gave up all those little things that give me pleasure in my thought life, that, that give me, um, fulfillment, or all those hopes I have, or those dreams I have, if I gave up all those and just had a relationship with God, that would be kind of boring. That would kind of suck. That would, that would not be exciting. That would not be rich. That would not be full. That would be, that, that is a very dim view of God. And a very dim view of relationship with God. We, we are to be otherworldly. 
and our thoughts. And, and this isn't, you know, we, the, the unfortunate thing is, is that we have, we immediately have these images in our mind of some, uh, of exactly what he's going to talk about in, in, in Colossians here. Of some monk who is, um, you know, living in self-degradation, who is, you know, mm, I guess I'm just so happy with my relationship with God. I'm going to, now I'm going to say my prayers, and I, you know, now I'm going to go read my Bible, now I'm going to tend the garden, and now I'm going to do all these things as a sacrifice for God. You know, I mean, what the the, the whole monastery thing? I don't know. I can say this, God was not happy with that. God was not happy with that. It, it, it was not a good thing. Um, and, and just like it said, it had no power against fleshly indulgence. That's what Colossians is going to say here. That's why there was monks who castrated themselves. Okay? Literally. And because they struggled in that. They struggled in their in their inner man. And that, that is not a place that we are, but let me just say, that is not a place where we are to struggle. We are to submit. And that the, we understand the struggle in a relationship with God. We understand the frustration. We understand the difficulty because we try to white knuckle a right relationship with God. We try to do the right thing, be the right thing, rather than being transformed in our thinking, in our thoughts. Are we willing to give up our thought life? Are we willing to give up our inner man? Are we willing to submit our inner man and allow God to redeem and God to change that? That's the issue. Because we have to realize that, and this is where sin comes in and repents. That if I did, if God says, yeah, but that's wrong, how do I deal with, with looking at another woman sexually? Okay? How do I deal with that? Do I go, no, I can't. No, I shouldn't. No, I'm only going to look at her from the shoulders up. No, I'm not. No. I need to see that woman as God sees her. God sees that woman as his daughter. God sees that woman as his, as his blessed creation that he's made. God sees that woman as somebody that he protects and defends as his daughter. I need to see her the same way. Not as a sexual being that I have a right to think sexually about. Not, 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 I need to see her as my daughter, as my sister. You know, it's a, it, it, and, and it take, and the same thing with girls. The same thing with you girls. It's no different. You get, need to, you either need to view men as your brothers. Okay? Do any of you, do any of you, are any of you tempted to think sexually about your brothers? I doubt it. Okay? Because that's a level of degenerate perversion that I probably isn't happening here, okay? So, you, you don't struggle with sexual thoughts about your brother. Why? Because you see him as your brother. Right? Because you see him the way God created him to do. It isn't an issue. You don't lust after him. You don't think about him that way. Because you see him correctly. Are we willing to give up the thought of thinking sexually about anyone except our husband or our wife. Because that's what God says, is where purity comes from. Period. That, that we have no right to deal, to think any other way, to possess, to turn their hearts. Do we, do we try to turn the affections of our sister or brother 
on us? Do we try to turn all their attention on us? Do we try to get them to fall in love with us? No. You know why I don't? Because that's perverse. That's wrong. You know, I wouldn't do that. It isn't a temptation. It isn't a struggle. Well, how isn't that temptation? We can live, let me just say, we can live our lives that way if we agree with God. Where it isn't a temptation and it isn't a struggle. Because we, we agree with God about it. That's no different than money. That's no different than possession and power and things and whatever. We need to agree with God about it. From, see it from God's perspective. Are we willing to give that up? I can tell you that in my own life, I didn't know sexual freedom until I was willing to give up my wrong thinking about it. It wasn't a matter of trying to do the right thing on the outside. It wasn't a matter of, because that would be a perpetual lifelong struggle that would just perpetuate hypocrisy. If I, if I, if I, you know, um, said that I had a right relationship with God, pretended to have a right relationship with God, and yet was unwilling to agree with God about sexuality. Okay? Because that doesn't happen. We don't have a right relationship when we disagree with God. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, you, we need to understand that the issue here is how we feel about things. And are we willing to die to that? Are we willing to die to wrong feelings? To try to, to try to clean our act up from the outside in doesn't work. It produces hypocrites. It produces people that were far more zealous, far more devout, far more th- than us in Jesus' day that Jesus was perpetually in conflict with. Do we want to be in conflict with Jesus? Why was he in conflict with him? He says because on the outside you, you do the right things. On the outside you seem to act the right way. And, you know, you, 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 act, you try to act humbly. You know, you, you try to act um, righteously. And yet, you're not. And yet, the inside of you is, is, is evil. You know, God, Jesus said, in, in, here's the bottom line. Jesus said that to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's the totality of the law. Okay, that, that takes care of all of it. Those, that's from the inside out. Okay? Does it, is it going to, um, cause outward action? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can, you know, I, we don't, we don't have to go, we don't have to come up with a bunch of regulations. Well, you do this and you do that and you don't do this and you don't do this and you do this and you do that and you look devout by this and this and this. We don't have to look at any of those things because those things are all a shadow. Those things are all either results of good or bad and, and maybe represent a good heart or a bad heart. But we do judge. How do we judge? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's what Jesus said. What is your life about? Is your life about you? Is your life about, uh, is your life about you? Is your life about your happiness? Is your life about your security? Is your life about your peace? Is your life about your... Or do you live your life for others? You, you pour your life out for others. Is your life about a relationship with God? And that doesn't, that doesn't mean judge the condemnation. That means to determine, do you, do you really have a right relationship with God or not? Because I should be very concerned if you do or don't. Because it matters everything. It's everything. Okay? If you do or you don't. 
And, and unfortunately, we tend to come up with a whole bunch of concocted things on the outside. If you do this and you don't do this and you look like this and you act this way and you dress this way and you say this and you don't say that, then we determine you're a Christian. Then we determine that you're right with God. Um, unfortunately, that's been going on and Paul addresses it here. And what we don't understand, what, what we need to understand is when, when Paul is talking in Colossians about about what a right relationship with God is, we need to understand that God has done everything necessary through Jesus to make it possible for me to have that intimate relationship with God with nothing between us. Okay? With nothing between us. God has empowered that. God has made that. God intends for that to be. We need to not, we need to not live out the lie because our, what we believe, what we, what we, what we claim to believe, what our presuppositions are about Christianity will determine our life. And if we believe that, that yes, I, I want a right relationship with God, but I'm just doing my best. Okay? And I, I'm just trying. And God's okay with that. Um, but I really don't have any, you know, I, you can't help that. I'm just a sinful person. I can't help this sin, or I can't help that sin, or I can't help thinking this way, or I can't help acting this way. We believe a lie. We believe a lie. If we believe that that's what it means to be born again and be in a relationship with God. That's, that's a lie, because what does he say, starting in verse 8? See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. That's just what we were talking about, is philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I mean, how many people, you know, you, you can take the, the extreme measures, you know, um, how many people believe that they're, you know, at a funeral, are, are claimed to be, they're going to heaven and they're saved because, oh yeah, they were baptized. Right? They were baptized. Let me just say, that's the traditions of men. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying baptize. I mean, we're not talking about water baptism being right or wrong here. You know, an issue. I didn't say that water baptism is wrong, but you know, that's not the issue we're talking about. The issue is that that the outward outward action of baptism does not guarantee salvation, and yet we are told that it does. And yet we are told that that, that does have. Therefore, you were saved. Therefore, you were okay. Or you were infant baptized. Therefore, you are saved. doesn't really matter. Or in evangelicalism, we even hold stronger to, well, they said the prayer. Right? They said the prayer. And, and they said it several times, so we know they probably got it right. One of the times, at least. Huh? So, they, they must be saved. But that's the tradition of men. Okay? Do not be taken captive by that the elementary principle of the world, rather than according to Christ. Because according to Christ, what does it mean? For in Him, if Christ is in us, if we are in Christ, and it's important to understand and consider that. What does that mean? What does that look like? All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. In Him, so the fullness of the deity dwells in us. In Him, you have been made complete or full. 
That doesn't mean God's okay with the, with the bad side of me just continuing to be alive and existing. We have been made complete and full to have a right relationship. Now again, God did this so that we could have an intimate relationship with Him. Okay. Remember a few weeks ago when He gave us the explanation in Leviticus? I think chapter 19 it was, where God said, when you, when you have to go to the bathroom, go outside the camp and take a shovel and go bury it. Okay? You think that's kind of crude, you know? I mean, what do we talk about that? You know what God said? Because I don't dwell in a camp where you poop in the camp. Okay? And that, that is an example of our lives. That is, that is a truth of our lives. God does not reside in the outhouse. Okay? God does not reside in the outhouse. And if our life is an outhouse, God does not reside there. Okay? God, and God equips us with every, and that isn't a matter of washing the outside of the outhouse. Right? It's about not being in the outhouse. It's about being cleansed from inside and God has made a way for this to happen. He says, he, you've been made complete and he is, this is an important thing too, he is the head over all rule and authority. Well, I can't help it. Okay? In the world, be very clear, spiritual powers are at work in this world to oppose God. Period. And all of us have been directly affected by them. All of us have. Some of us still are. All of us will continue to tr- for them to try to be. That's why we're told to take up the armor of God. Okay? There's a reason for having the armor of God on. That's because they will continue, the rulers, the principalities of this world, will continue to try to deceive, to lie, to get us to believe things that aren't true, to manipulate. Okay? To, to, to manipulate our thoughts, to manipulate our actions, to cause us to be angry, to cause us to, to be slanderous, to cause us to be hateful, to cause us to be selfish, to cause us to be lustful, to cause us to be Im- immoral and, and, and impure. They are at work in us. That's why we put armor on to defend against that fight. That is a fight that's going on. But what what does, what does he say right here? And it's a very important thing that shouldn't just be read over, okay? He is head over all rule and authority. Okay? He is head over all rule and authority. He has set us free. We can, we, we, in Ephesians we talk seriously about it. In Philippians we talk seriously about it. Okay? That he has set us free. When, when, when Jesus died, going to say in a minute, he made a public display in verse 15. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's who he's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual rulers and authorities. Okay? When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Jesus Christ. This is how we can and are to live in our lives. We are not to live in our lives oppressed. Okay? Immobilize. Ball and chain in our foot. If we're addicted or if we're in bondage to sin, we need to consider that, that we are in denial of the work of the cross. We are living out. He, Jesus has set us 
free. And that's a very important key to it. There is not an excuse for sin. Okay? We have no excuse for sin. Okay? We willingly choose to sin. Our flesh erupts in sin. Our fleshly nature naturally responds in sin. Selfishness, lust, deceit, lying, all those things that naturally come out of us that we get aided in, that we get helped in, but we are no longer overpowered by them. That is the state that we can be in and be born again. And again, this is not, remember, this is not just a distant God who sets up a bunch of rules. And if you follow these rules, then I'll let you into heaven. This is a loving father that desires to have an intimate relationship with his kid. Okay? And the relationship that he longs to have with his kids is no different than we would long to have with any of our kids. What if we went to spend time with our kids? What kind of a what kind of a time would it be if our kid just went, well, I really don't want to spend time with you, but I'll do it because that's what I'm supposed to. That would start things off really well, wouldn't it? Well, I, I really don't want to be here. I'm really kind of distracted. I really kind of want to be with my friends. I really want to be with my buddies. But, you know, I'm fine. I'll be with you. Is, does not, pardon me, does that not describe our relationship with God sometimes? And how, how we act in our relationship with God? That is not what God desires. God desires a relationship with his kids where his kids are longing. They can't wait to spend time with dad. And they're not in rebellion to dad. They're in agreement with dad. They're not fighting dad on everything, but they're, but instead they're, they're in agreement with dad about what they're doing and, and, and the fun they're having and where they're going and, and, you know, the beauty, I mean, that's a wondrous thing. I mean, I, I long spending time. I just spent a couple of days with my daughter. And it, you know, to me, one of the most, um, precious of times. You know, we just spent several days hunting. And, uh, you know, the, the sweet, I, I can't think of a, of a more blessed time or a blessed person to be with. My daughter and I, when, when we're out there, one of the sweet things is we agree. We agree on the beauty of the sunset. We agree on the on the the invigoration of a thirty mile an hour wind that makes it about ten degrees outside. You know, we agree on the the you know um, eroticness of seeing a, a wolf run across the nine thousand foot hilltop. You know, and we we agree with the the difficulty and pain of pushing to the top of the hill, and and yet the the fulfillment when we get there to be able to see on top of it. And, and my daughter and I are in agreement out there. And I have to say that it's one of the most pleasurable things I can know. I mean, I could care less about killing an elk. Honestly. I mean, I really, it's not the issue. To be go out and spend hour after hour after hour um, in agreement with my daughter, in intimate fellowship with my daughter, um, is one of the sweetest things that a father can know. One of the sweetest things, you know, that I can participate in. And that's it's the same thing with God. God desires for us and now if my daughter was going, Well dad wants me to go with him, but I don't really want to go and how long are we going to be here, Dad? And when are we going to go home? And and it's really cold out here and I'm uncomfortable and I don't like being here and and do I really have to shoot an elk and you know 
you know, it's getting dark, Dad, and we're going to walk out at three three miles out of here in the pitch black, you know, doing it. You know, that doesn't, it's not any fun. I don't want to do that. And, you know, I mean, just on and on and on, which would have been pleasurable or unpleasurable. And unfortunately, that's how our relationship looks like with God. Okay, God, I'm supposed to spend time with you. I guess I'll spend time with you. Let me get through reading this Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do. Okay. All right, God, you say not to, not to go out and tell, but I really want to. I really like to get drunk. You know, I really, I really like to get drunk and, and play with boys or play with girls and, and flirt and tease and toy and, and get that adrenaline rush that comes from doing that and, and, but you tell, tell me not to. Fine, God, I won't. But I really like to. I mean, our, our God has set up a way that we can escape all the because that's sin and evil and lie, in spite of what we think about it. And God has set up a way that we can be free from that, and we can live in agreement with Him. And that's where we can know the intimacy of a relationship. In him we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. I know we read this last week, but consider this. In the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When he's talking about the flesh, he's talking about all those human thoughts about things that disagree with God. Okay? That we can be circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. Okay? Having been buried with him in baptism. Okay? in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead, all of us were dead in our transgressions, in our uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, so that there isn't, between us, there isn't things. Okay? I mean, what, 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 how is it when you spend time? I'm sure, sure we have to some degree. When somebody has done something that has wronged us, when somebody has, 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 has done something that has truly wronged us, okay? That is, you know, and purposely done something to wrong us. And then they want to just pretend like everything's fine and spend time. How well does that go? It doesn't go well, right? And it isn't even about resentment and bitterness and anger towards them. It's about the things aren't right between us, you know. I mean, you know, it's it's whatever, you know, whatever the circumstance may be. For us to have intimate fellowship with God, we need to be forgiven of our rebellion towards Him. We need to we need to make that atonement. And guess what? He did this. When we were dead in our uncircumcision of our flesh, he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us in which were hostile to us. Were hostile to us. The decrees against us were hostile to us. Okay? And he has taken it out of the way, having it nailed to the cross. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, 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 do not go back, is what he's going to say, do not go back to having a, thinking that you have a right relationship with God by the external. Okay? That's what it, that's what it's saying here. Okay? Therefore, it, it, it's, be careful of your understanding of the wording here. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or 
or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, we could easily transfer that and say, oh, that goes fairly well with our most quoted Bible verse, do not judge. See, and this says, do not let anyone judge you. See, you can't judge me in regard to this or in regard to anything. Okay? No, no one be your judge in doing that. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that, that it is not the outward sign that constitute a right relationship with God. That it is not what is on the outside. Do not let anyone act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festivals or new moons or a Sabbath day. Things that are mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. That's an interesting word. The word substance, the word actually is a Greek word that means body. Okay? You think, well, how does that make sense? Because the word, the word substance, it actually is a word that means bo- literal body. Okay? And the contrast here that he makes is things which were a mere shadow. So God set up all this law and this set of don't do this and do this. And if you read Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy particularly, it's full of do this and don't do this and eat this and don't eat this and, and, and make sure you keep this Sabbath day and make sure that you keep this holiday and make sure that you, that you don't associate with this and make sure you don't touch this and make, and it's full of those things, right? But what, what does he say? Those things were a mere shadow of Jesus Christ and what was going to happen and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And to revert back to thinking that we are going to keep those things in order to have a right relationship with God. Now, now, don't get me wrong in understanding something. Okay, If we are in an intimate relationship with God and we are in intimate fellowship with God in our life, in our heart, in our soul, from the inside out is in agreement with God what actions is that going to produce? That's going to produce actions which are pleasing to God, right? That's not going to to not produce fruit. That's going to produce fruit, okay? Because I am going to do things that please God, just like God does things that please me. We have an intimate relationship, okay? That goes back and forth, and, and I do not do things. So there will be actions. And, I, and, and consequently, I won't do things that don't please him. You know, when, I, when, when the enemy still comes at us, which he does, when the enemy comes at us, how do I deal, how do, how do I deal with sexual sin? Okay? Because sexual sin is something, like most men, that for the a majority of my life controlled me. And this pertains to women too. Okay? That for the majority of your life, and, and women tend to be very lustful of men. And, and, and it, might, it might look a little different in the physical part of lusting, but longing, desire, longing to have their attention turned on them, longing to have their affections turned on them, um, in working, manipulating, and, and exercising their power okay, in, in that direction. How do we, when we are tempted to... And, and, and don't say it's not true. What, what is... You know, when you go to the grocery store and you get a look as a girl and you get a look from a, from a good looking guy, there's a bit of an adrenaline charge, okay? Is that a good thing? Is that something that we should work for? Is that something that we should try to choose? And, and you say, well, no, it doesn't matter to me. Oh, it does too. How do you dress? You know? How do you, how do you smell? How do you, how do you act in public? 
because it's something that um, you're trained. And I again, I don't blame you. It's a culture that says we teach. You know, one of the one of the things that I am certain that God is most angry about is we we train our girls from a very young age to attract men. To, to attract the attention of men, to attract the sexual attention of men. We dress them. We teach them to act. We, we put perfume and put makeup on their face and do all kinds of things to get them to go out and attract men. And we teach them that from a very young age. I mean, that is one of the most perverse things a father could ever do, is, is send his daughter out to attract men. Um, you know, that, is, that doesn't mean that you... You know that you dress her horribly and mess her hair up and make her ugly. That 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 is that is not the issue. You know I adore my daughters and my granddaughters and cherish them. Um, but the 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 whole I mean it's it, it's a it's a dreadful culture that we live in. I mean women begin to compete for for men at the age of about I don't know nine years old. You know or or, or sooner kindergarten whatever. And they begin to compete for the affections of Johnny, you know. Well, no wonder women are, quote, catty sometimes, you know. No wonder they, they don't get along. No wonder they're suspicious of each other. No wonder they're afraid to be intimate. No wonder they're afraid to be vulnerable with each other. It's a tragic thing. Is because you, no wonder they can't trust because somebody will stab me in the back, because somebody will take my boyfriend, because somebody will use it against me, because somebody will tell Johnny and then he won't like me, you know. I mean, it's a sick thing that starts at a very young age, and we encourage that participation, right? Even just by our apathy, we encourage it. By our non-assertive aggression into that culture, stopping it, we are hateful in our daughters doing that. And, and so you can't help it. But what, so what is our? So what are we willing to do? Are we willing to say that I get part of my identity, I get part of my self-worth, I get part of my my um, self-esteem? I get part of my security out of getting those looks that I've been getting since I was six years old. You know, since I was, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that's what, that's what validated me. That's what told me that I'm pretty. That's what told me that I'm acceptable. That's what told me that I'm attractive. That's what told me that I am, you know, somewhere in the pecking order of being able to attract a man or get it. Are, are, are you willing to give that up? I mean, we talk to the men a lot about what you're willing to give up. Are you willing to give that up as a girl? And, and I'm not saying start dressing ugly, you know, and trying to see how ugly you can be and unattractive. That's not the issue. But the issue is that if we if we find the sexual attention or sexual attraction from another man, if you find that is something that that you kind of like, with you, oh, I don't pay attention. You you know, girls are very good about acting like they don't notice, you know. Girls are very good about dressing very sexually and then acting like, oh, they don't notice you're noticing me that way. I don't see that. You know, I, I don't see it. I mean, it's a, it's a wretched game that they're taught from a very young age in doing that. Are you willing to give that up? Because that is not what God desires. That is not a godly response from any man to think sexually about you unless you're his husband. You're her, he's your husband. Okay? Period. Period. I am to think sexually about no woman except my wife. And that's really fulfilling. That's not, gee, that's a wondrous thing. But it, And you know what? I can live in that. I can truly live in that. 
Will Satan try to hit me with that? Will Satan try to beat me up with that? Yeah? How do I, how do I deal with that? I agree with God. I, I don't deal with that by going, no, I'm not going to think that way about her. I don't do it that way. That's not the way you do it. The way you do it is by agreeing with God. Okay? That's what confessing our sin is. It's agreeing with God about our sin. The way that I agree with God about my sin is, no, that, that's, that's God's daughter. You know? And, and no different than my daughter, if any man thinks sexually about one of my daughters, if it's not her husband, we are not going to be okay. Okay? We are not doing okay. Our relationship is not okay. Okay? This is, you know, we're in a wreck. And, and, and I'm not going to be passive about it. You know, okay? You think God feels any different? God is a perfect loving father. And for me to have a relationship, a right relationship with him, I can't think sexually about his daughters. Because it doesn't go well with that. Guaranteed, it doesn't go well with that. And just because he has not struck you dead for it, does not mean that it does not go well with that. And that you do not have a relationship with him when you are thinking wrongly about his daughters. That's the way it is. There's no man that has a right relationship with me when he's thinking about my daughter sexually. Okay? Because she doesn't have a husband, my youngest daughter. Okay? So, we don't have a right relationship. I'm not okay with that, thinking, oh, that's okay. It's okay for you to think about it that way. No. It's not. Okay. And we don't have a right relationship. God's the same way. And, and so how do I, how do we, how do we be in that intimate fellowship with God? How do we be in a right relationship? By white knuckling it on the outside and not doing what's on the outside? Or by willing to give that up in our hearts? I'm willing to give up ever thinking sexually about any other girl besides my wife. Am I willing to do that? That's called death. It's called dying to my flesh. Okay? And if I'm not willing to do that, I don't have a right relationship with God. I'm not willing to die. Okay? And it's no different for a girl. That the, the inside is what matters. And God has made it so that I can be in an intimate, unbroken relationship with God without guilt, without shame. Okay? And it isn't the outside things that are going to do it. Things which were a mere shadow of what was to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. What is the prize? The prize, it says, is the upward calling of God. What does that mean? That means that I am in an intimate relationship with God. That is my prize. That is the prize that we have in a right relationship with God. Is the upward calling. As I continue to progress, in spite of the, the again, the, the presuppositions about the word, there is an there is an amazing word that we need to change the way we think about it, and it's called holy. And it's called holiness. Holiness is a good thing. Holiness is not the, the self-righteous, false piety of a monk. Okay? Holiness is, is, is a, what God calls us to. And it's a wondrous thing. It, it's the upward calling of my relationship with God. And our lives should be holy. Our lives ought to be... We are to be children of the kingdom of light. And our lives should look different. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This, this, this statement that 
The only thing different between me and other sinners is I'm forgiven, but you know, I'm just a sinner like him. I want to beat you. No, no, it's probably true, but you need to be born again. You can be saved. You can become a child of the kingdom of light. Not remain a child of the kingdom of darkness. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. The happiness, the joy, the fulfillment, the contentment of a relationship with God. Other than just works, 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 struggling to do the right thing, struggling because I know it's right, but I have no fulfillment in it, so I keep trying to dabble in things that I give me some fulfillment because I really have no true fulfillment in my relationship with God. So I just keep dabbling in the world and dabbling in the flesh and dabbling in self-indulgence and doing it because I really don't have the prize. Okay? Who Do not let religion keep defrauding you of that prize. Do not let Satan keep defrauding you of that prize. Okay? Delighting... By delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, is Christ, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is, excuse me, which is from God. That's a profound verse. If you do not have the intimacy of a relationship with the body of Christ, you're not growing. That's what it says. Okay? It is not, we do not go out on our own and not get our butts kicked. That's what will happen when you're outside that. Because we are not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ in the, to the elementary, to the, to the, to the basic things that motivate us as humans, if you have died to Christ, to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, you submit yourself to decrees such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all refer to things destined to perish with usage in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Okay? Why do we go back to thinking that that is where the relationship is on the outside? that I can make my relationship right with God from the outside in. No, it's from the inside out. I am completely dependent on the work of God when I trust Him in faith, when I believe in what He did, when I, when I have a true belief and understanding of what He did. Okay, And I, I trust Him in that. I, I trust that that is the truth. That in Him, we've been made complete. In Him, we are we are over all rule and over all authority. In Him, we've been circumcised with the removal of the body of flesh. If I believe those things, okay, if we have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why should we keep living in the world? Do, do, why do you submit to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with usage in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have... This is a very important verse. These are matters which have to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and self-treatment and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay? But are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And I, I really... I, the... the, the, the the simplicity of the message of the gospel is something that that I I hope I don't muddle and confuse sometimes. The the there is tremendous 
importance, okay, in, in coming against the things of the flesh that cause us to not have a right relationship with God. But how do we do that? How, how does that happen? How do we, how do we have a relationship where I agree with God so that my time spent with Him is not going, well, I shouldn't. I don't really want to be here and I really want to be doing this, but I know I'm not supposed to, so fine, I'll spend time here. Because that isn't the intimate relationship with God that God desires for us to have. God desires for us to have a relationship and we can. And this isn't boring. And this isn't unfulfilling. And this isn't simple. And this isn't um, not full of adrenaline. I tend to be a bit of a... You know, I'm a passionate person. And, and, and fortunately, my, my fleshly passion has been one of the most destructive things in my life. Okay? God still made me a passionate person. Okay? How did he intend for that to be filled? In my relationship with him. So you mean my relationship can be passionate? It's not just, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to say any bad words. Okay? No. God, God says that I will fulfill that passionate side that I created with you in my relationship with you. Okay? And, and I, I, let me, let me stop there because I, I really want to repeat myself again in spite of the, um, redundancy. God desires to have an intimate relationship with us where we are in agreement, where we are mutually fulfilled. Created in the image of God, I believe, and I've seen nothing contrary yet, it seems to me best explained as an outpourer. Okay? That God, the image of God, God is an outpourer. God is always outpouring Himself. He's always outpouring His creativity. He's always outpouring His love. He's out, always outpouring His omnipotence. He's always outpouring His justice. He's always out, outpouring His nature and His character. He's always outpouring to us. And, and throughout history, everything we know about God shows Him to be an outpour where God has reached out to, to His creation. Our being created in His image is the way that we are fulfilled is by us being outpours. And the way that we are fulfilled is by our outpouring in our relationship with God. Okay? That we are mutually outpouring to each other. That the relationship isn't one way, but that we are mutually outpouring. And, and for me to... If I outpour my flesh in my relationship with God, if I outpour my selfishness in my relationship with God, is that going to be a good relationship? No, it's not. But if I am outpouring a life in a thought pattern, an inward man that's in agreement with God about sin, that's in agreement with God about righteousness, that's in agreement with God about love, then that's a fulfilling relationship. Beyond what most of us know. Most of all of us have known very little beyond religion. Most of us have known very little beyond what's right and what's wrong. I mean, I, I grew up with it. You know, I mean, it, it, 
I, I wanted to really, my wife would say the same thing. And, and thousands upon thousands of other kids that are now adults would say the same thing. Longing for a relationship with God. Longing to have a right relationship with God. But it was just no fun. I mean, it was just boring. It was like, can't do this and can't do that. And all the things that I longed to do, I can't do. My mind was not renewed. I did not agree with God about sin. Okay? All the things I wanted to do, I wanted to hold hands with her. She was 15. You know? And, and I wanted to kiss her and I wanted to be sexual with her and, and I wanted, and, and, and God didn't understand that and God might say no. What a tragic thing. The result of our disobedience by just getting our butts kicked for a good percentage of those 34 years. Carrying baggage and, 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 and bondage into marriage that most people do and most kids who grew up in church do. Carry hypocrisy and carry sexual sin and carry unconfessed sin and carry disagreement with God about it into marriages and devastate their marriages and destroy their marriages because they don't understand purity because they don't agree with God about purity. And unfortunately, I, I think that it's a, a tragic, and, and so as a result of, you know, we, that was religion, right? I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I want a relationship with God, and this is right, and this is wrong, and but that's no fun, and this is fun, and ah, what do you do? How, how do you live in that life? You know, where do you go? God says that He will renew our minds, that He will change the way we think if we're willing to be submissive to Him. That's the issue. That He will truly change. I do not find it... I find it a wondrous thing that I can look at women as my sisters. Okay? I mean that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a freeing, fulfilling, satisfying, gratifying thing that I can look as my wife, look at my wife as, as sexually attractive and I can look at all of the women as my sisters. Okay? That's a wondrous thing. That is not a bondage. That is not a bummer. That is not a, you know, not very fulfilling or not very fun. No, that is a wondrous thing. The thing that we don't understand, the thing that we don't talk about in church, is how wondrous our, the sexual relationship could be between a husband and a wife when there's that purity. And it can only be fulfilling when there's that purity. Okay? It can only be fulfilling in that relationship where I am in agreement with God about sexuality. And the problem is that I spent my whole life, early life growing up, not agreeing with God about it. So my marriage wasn't that fulfilling either. Once I agreed with God about sexuality, once I agreed with God um, about purity and what it looked like, and once we confessed, and both my wife and I, and once, once we were able to nail those sins of the cross, once we were able to be free from those burdens, free from that guilt and shame, free from the crap in our relationship, and we could know purity in our relationship, it was wondrous. And that's just one example of life in agreement with God. One example of a part of life in agreement with God. But it, 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 is, not a, it is not a burdensome thing that I can't think about. Do I, are, are women beautiful? Some certainly are. Some are ugly, but some are beautiful. No different than men, you know. But in, but in this, but they're all as my daughter, you know. I mean, 
No, my, some of my little grandkids are ugly, you know? They're, they're ugly, they're little ugly things. Are they, are they, are they the most precious, wondrous things in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? They, they do, you know, little things when they're born, they're ugly. You know? They, they, if you, if you came out of where they came out of, you'd be ugly too. So, they're, they're, they're ugly. Okay? It, 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 they, they, they're, they're wrinkled up little several things. And, and yet, I, I, you know, obviously, obviously they're, they're beautiful. My, my point is that it, it's no different in, it's not a sexual thing with them, it's not a sexual thing with women. You know, it, it's, a, it's a fulfilling, rewarding thing that I can have a relationship with my sisters, um, as, as sisters and daughters. Because that's a relationship all I have with all women besides my wife, is my sisters and my daughters. Um, and, and, and the same thing with women. You're either your brother, your, you know, as a father, as an elder. I, I challenge you because all of us, are we willing to give up our thoughts? Are we willing for our thoughts to be in agreement with God? Um, because that's really what the foundation of a right relationship with Him. That's really where dying to ourself is. It's not about the outward things. It's not about doing enough outward things that it makes up for the inward. It's not about doing enough outward things that it balances the scale in our favor. It's not about doing enough outward things that it that cloaks or hides the inward man. It, it's about right here, right now, saying, God, I surrender. I surrender my thoughts that are disobedient to you, that are in disagreement with you. And I'm willing to agree with you about everything. I'm willing to be changed and transformed so that I see you, see things as you see them. And God has made a way for that to be the most fulfilling, complete state of being that we can be in. Forgiven, free from guilt, free from shame, in a completely unbroken relationship with Him. Not as a rebellious child trying to have a relationship with our some distant father, but an intimate relationship with father son, with daughter son, um, with unbroken fellowship, with complete agreement in what we're doing. Let's pray. God, I don't know why. You are a holy God. You are a great God. You are a mighty God. You are a God of all gods. You are a King of kings. And yet you intimately, you desire an intimate relationship with each one of us. Intimate. Unbroken fellowship. You desire that so much that you killed Jesus. You put our sins on Him. You took it. and died. In our place so that we could not have things between us, so that we could be right in our relationship with you. And the resurrection power that you, that you raised him from the dead with, you say is now at work in us. And that resurrection power is at work through his spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, to resurrect our body, to resurrect our mortal beings, so we can be transferred and renewed and we can walk as children of light in this world. We can know victory. We can know peace. We can know joy. 
we can know fulfillment. The struggle can look way different. The struggle isn't against our flesh and blood. But if the struggle now begins against principalities and powers that want to deceive and lie, hold people in bondage and, and capture us, deceive us. Because we surrendered. We surrendered our body. We surrendered our flesh and blood. We've been baptized into your death. We can be baptized into your resurrection. And we can live victorious in power. God, I ask you to please, please, God, imprint these words on all of our minds and our hearts. The truth. Not my words, but your words. The truth that we would consider that a right relationship with you is not constituted by the externals we do, but the internals that we hold on to and you're okay with that. It's about willing to surrender the internal. And the external takes care of itself. Good, bad, or ugly. I thank you that we are not under, we do not have to remain under the authority of the principalities and powers of Satan in the kingdom of darkness in this world. I think we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in subjection. We can confront and be free. I thank you for that. But I thank you that, that you fill our house. That when we empty, when we die to ourselves, when we empty ourselves, that you fill us with the Holy Spirit and the life-giving power that Satan can no longer reside there. And his, his dominions can no longer reside there. I thank you for making it all happen, Jesus. It is all about you. You can have the world, but, but give me Jesus. is an appropriate song. First, it's been a little whiny to me, but it's a very good song. A song of truth. There's really nothing else, nothing else that matters. We're completely dependent on the person, on the character, on the work of Jesus. Amen.